You are listening to episode 9 of the Ball Blab podcast. I interview Red Sox beat writer Chris Cotillo of MassLive.com and discuss with him the potential moves and traits the Sox can make come the trade deadline. Okay, so I'm here with Chris Gatillo, the Red Sox beat writer of MassLive.com and the co-host of the Fenway Rundown podcast. So Chris, such a pleasure having you on and thank you for joining me today. Yeah, anytime, Jason. Happy to be here. Yeah, so um, first question, obviously, you know, this year's deadline is unlike um, anything we've seen from the Heim Bloom era. You had 2020 where, you know, the Red Sox were clear sellers and then 2021, there were clear buyers you know, at, um, they were competing for first place. This is the first time we've seen like in the middle from Heim Bloom. Um, if the deadline were to be today, what would you think Heim Bloom's best approach would be? Uh, I think either marginal selling or marginal buying, you know, I think it'd be closer to standing path and doing anything aggressively on either side. I just think, you know, they're in purgatory. Like you mentioned, that's the worst place to be this time of year. I think the best bump is three years ago, Dave Dombrowski found himself in this spot with the Red Sox in 2019. You know, they were a team that, you know, yes, they were in it, but he didn't really believe that it was worth mortgaging a lot of the future, which is weird because he always liked doing that. Um, and, you know, this Heim doesn't. Uh, so I think that they would probably, you know, stand pat or, or just do, um, you know, those types of smaller moves um, and not really be super aggressive. So, um, you know, there is still time, though. Luckily for them, it's not today. They still have 11 more games before the deadline, I think. You know, how they play when they start up back on Friday against Toronto and Cleveland and Milwaukee will really determine a lot about, you know, the future of this franchise in the short term and long term. So they always say these games are one out of 162 or one week out of a six-month season. In this case, it's not really like that. I mean, these games are going to be super important. Yeah, we see Alex Cora saying, you know, each game is one out of 162. There's plenty of time for, you know, catching up. But um, next question is kind of building off what you said. Um, as you said, there are 11 games before the deadline. I mean, this 11-game stretch is going to be could be very pivotal on what um, Heim Bloom thinks. Do you think he's prompted by this 11-game stretch, or do you think he's already made up his mind on what to do with this team? I think, you know, how he feels about this team just in general, I think it's probably not going to be changed by 11 games. But, you know, so far they haven't really proven that they're, you know, great against good competition. You know, they have a couple of series here and there where they were okay. You know, last weekend splitting with the Yankees at four-game set, taking two of three from Houston to Fenway earlier in the year. But other than that, you know, they've been dismal against the AL East. We've seen they've lost every series. We saw the one-in-six road trip. Um, and I do think, you know, losing Chris Sale probably for the rest of the season, if not most of the rest of the season, um, is a huge blow. They were counting on that guy to be one of the saviors in the second half. So the fact that you know they're not going to have him means that their chances to reach the postseason are lower. And there's no, no way around that. So, um, you know, I, I always with with Heimblum, I always think that it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a real contender for him to make, you know, these big dynamite moves last year, I think. You know, the moves he did make were pretty big. Schwarber was was one of the best players available on the trade market. They gave up a good prospect in Aldo Ramirez for him. You know, it didn't seem like the biggest move at the time. We saw how much it changed the complexion of the lineup down the stretch and how good it was. And then, you know, the two relievers, Hansel Robles, believe it or not, was great for them last year. And Austin Davis is a guy who's emerged this year, you know, in a small trade for Michael Chavis, who, you know, kind of ran his course here. So, um and he did a great job at the last year's trade deadline. He did a great job in 2020 getting Nick Pavetta, Connor Siebold for – Workman, you know, getting some of these other guys um, and some of these other trades, Jacob Wallace and the Pilar trades, a guy that might help in the future of the bullpen. So, um, 
you know, he's actually got a pretty good deadline track record here. It's just, you know, at this point, I, I don't know if he it just his hands are kind of tied just by being in the middle. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, a little bit. This question is going to be more related to Bloom himself. I've kind of noticed over these past few weeks that Cora, whether it be on like EEI or, you know, any postgame interview that he's basically trying to tell Bloom we I, he needs help. Um, whether that be in a form of a first baseman or relief pitchers. Um, with this being in mind, how much of a factor is this deadline going to have on like the Bloom core relationship or even the relationship with the players and Bloom? You know, it's a really good question. I think, you know, uh, I think it's the roster has been flawed since day one. You know, they really counted too much on Bobby Dahlbeck. They counted even on Travis Shaw, who, you know, was like 0 for 20 to start the year. Um, you know, what Franchi Cordero gave him when he first came up is, is, is nice. He hits the ball hard and all that stuff, but, you know, he'll go through, through a stretch like right now. He's 0 for 16 with 15 strikeouts, and you can't have that in the majors. I think, you know, they counted on a little too much from Kike Hernandez. He didn't pan out. Jackie Bradley offensively is giving you really nothing. Um, Alex Verdugo is not giving you a great year in left field. Um, and then in the bullpen, you're counting on guys like Jake Diekman with a bad signing. You know, Ryan Brazier at this point is what he is. Um, Sal Murray is inconsistent. Um, so even though you've had some guys step up, whether it be Christian Vasquez or Austin Davis or uh, John Schreiber or any of these guys, like um, it was a flawed roster. And I'm sure that's frustrating for Alex. I'm sure that's frustrating for the players. Uh, but, you know, Haim has a process and he's going to stick to it. And there's the desperation that they're feeling on the field. I don't think trickles up to the front office. Yeah. So I, I listened to the um, interview you did with the Locked On Sox podcast and you said the bullpen isn't as much of a need as it was a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. Um, I, I would actually still say it's still pretty bad, even with Whitlock coming back, as you mentioned, you know, you have guys like Brazier, who's always rolled the dice. You never know what you're going to get for him. Um, Sour Mora's splitters always rolled the dice. You never know what you're going to get out of him. You know, let's assume, you know, the Sox become buyers. And do you see the Sox possibly adding one to two big name relievers? Or do you think Bloom is going to be reluctant to pay the prospect price that teams are, you know, going to ask. I mean, you know, for me, I think it's one of those things where, you know, they, they think they do have options from within, you know, we saw that on Friday night where they really finally set up the bullpen the way I think they're going to do it down the stretch. You, know, you go John Schreiber, two innings of Tanner Houck and then, or two innings of Gary Whitlock and then Tanner Houck. You know, I know he threw the ball away in the error and then he had to walk the tightrope to get out of two of those bases loaded jams. But um, you know, those three guys is three-headed right-handed monster. And then you have two good lefties. And I think, you know, Matt Strom has struggled recently and I know he's hurt now, but he's been pretty good for you all year. And Austin Davis has been good. Um, that's kind of like five guys you trust all of a sudden in an eight man bullpen. Um, and, you know, yes, you could always add if they add an arm, whether it be, you know, Bednar from Pittsburgh or Daniel Bard or David Robertson, one of those, you know, veteran guys, you know, that always going to help. Um, but I think they really like those guys that they have. And, you know, they're going to start testing guys from AAA as well, whether it be we're seeing Caleb Wart getting tested now, maybe it's Zach Kelly or Frank Thurman here in the coming weeks. You know, maybe it's one of these starters. You know, I would have guessed if Sale was to stay in the rotation and be healthy, maybe they try Winkowski or Siebold or uh, probably not Bayo, but, you know, one of these guys in a relief role and see what happens there. So, um, you know, that's just one of those things where um, – it's a better situation than it was a couple of weeks ago. I know the numbers aren't good. They've still blown more saves, I think, than they have saved, which is incredibly bad. But, um, you know, the, the names and the pieces are finally there structure-wise. Oh, yeah, totally agree. You have like – you said in the podcast you have a great four-inning stretch where you can do Schreiber for one and then Whitlock for two, or you can 
mix up how you use them. And then obviously Hulk from the ninth. Um, I like how we addressed that. Right. Um, moving over, I'm going to move over to first base. And I think first base is the biggest hole on this team. You have struggles on both ends defensively and offensively with, you know, Dahlbeck and Cordero, you know, I think the best option, and I've been saying this since last year, even though we got Schwerber, we still need a uh, first baseman who can actually defend and play. Um, I'm not saying Schwerber was a bad bat, but you saw in the postseason, he wasn't, you know, defensive. He wasn't as defensive as, you know, we thought he could have been. Um, I think Josh Bell's perfect addition. He can be your everyday first baseman. He's a switch hitter and he's a really good defender. You know, with this being a possibility, is there a chance if Bloom were to um, trade for him now, is there a high chance that Dahlbeck or Cordero could be in a trade package for Josh Bell? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess, but what is the value for in those guys, really? You know, yeah. like, people know what Dahlbeck is at this point. Um, people, you know, Frankie Cordero has been traded three times in the last two, two years, or at least twice. Um, I just don't know. It's always, on paper, it's always good to throw, you know, these guys who are not performing in trades, but they don't have value either, right? So you have to, like, you know, the guys that are performing, uh, maybe Winkowski is a guy that okay, people are going to be interested in. So, uh, because he's, you know, been good in the majors, I think. Um, yeah, I, do, I agree with you. Josh Bell is a great fit. I think in terms of first base, I think the Red Sox were relying on Kristen Casas a little too much to be ready by now. I don't think they obviously anticipated him getting hurt and being out for a month's long stretch. Uh, so that has really hurt them. I think they also expected that Dahlbeck after the second half he had last year could come back and assume that role and be good for them. That has not happened. Um, you know, Frankie Cordero is a guy that, you know, didn't make the opening day roster. They actually DFA'd him last fall. Um, and he's given them, you know, I know the last couple weeks have been bad, but he's given you, I think, a little bit more than I would have anticipated heading into the year. Um, that's almost scary to say. If you look at the production, they're 30th in OPS. Defensively, it's always every grounder. Like, is, it, is this going to be a drop or is this going to actually, actually going to complete this play? Um, yeah, it's a major, it's a major need. Um, but at the same time, if they're, you know, out of it or if they're not really committing to buying, then – why go get Josh Bell for two months and give up two prospects when you mm -hmm. can deal with Dahlbeck and Cordero for two more weeks, three more weeks, call up Casas and see what he can do for you down the stretch, you know? So these are the types of questions they're weighing. And that's why I think you're in such a weird spot. Yeah. I, I hold my breath every time I see a pop-up on the first base side and I'm like, Oh, is he going to catch it? And I'm always traumatized by Dahlbeck at Fenway park, trying to catch, you know, any, um, pop up in foul territory. Obviously, that Yankee series is just engraved in my mind right now. But yeah, no, it's always a struggle. Yeah, but that's what you get if you don't have, you know, that good first basemen. But kind of switching over to, you know, the Raphael Devers side of things, I feel like this season's panning out very similar to 2020 or 2019. You have the, uh, the two series, or sorry, four series against, you know, your division, the Rays and the Yankees that really make or break your season and last year it ripped apart any you know hopes for the red Sox. or not last year 2019 and it ripped apart any hopes for the Sox to make the playoffs it essentially got them out of it and that's almost the case this year um in terms of Raphael Devers is he, I, I view him like Mookie Betts you know you're unsure about his future more than any part of the season is there a possibility that this trade deadline could determine the future of Raphael Devers? And if Bloom may exercise trading him, if, you know, we become, we don't make the playoffs. Um, I think that definitely it's possible that 
he is they look into trading him during the winter. Um, but I also think, and I've always thought that, um, you know, Mookie Betts always drew a hard line in the sand. And, you know, I know the report came out now that he would have taken the deal that the Red Sox, get, uh, that the Dodgers gave him a 12-year, $365 million deal. I have my doubts about that just because, uh, you know, I, I, it's always easier to say in hindsight. And that's not a knock on Mookie. He got his value. He's been good in L.A., all that type of stuff. I think Rafi wants to be here um, and would be willing to take a little bit of a discount to do so, I think, a little bit more than Mookie ever would. Um, and I think that the Red Sox are going to be more motivated to get a deal done with Devers than they were Mookie, just because they know what the backlash is like of getting of dealing uh, you know, one of those players away. They might have to do deal with it again with Bogarts and other pieces of this core, whether it be you know JD and Evaldi and Vasquez and all those guys potentially leaving it for agency. Um, I think that you know they're they're cognizant of that, and I, I still do think in my heart of hearts that they're going to get a deal with Devers done. You know, the reports that came out that they said that they had that Matt Olson eight-year, $168 million deal as a baseline for him. Um, you know, people look at that and they don't like it. And obviously it's lower than value. And I understand that. And at one point, at, at some point, you get to feel the Red Sox think like, how uh, how low can we go on our initial offers where we risk really pissing this guy off? Because, you know, John Lester, we saw how it played out a few years ago, right? And, and that's kind of the classic case. We've now seen play out with Bogarts where he's clearly upset and not happy after he's done everything for the organization. But at the same time, that's kind of how negotiations work. You start low, he starts high, and then the point is to meet in the middle. Um, with Xander Bogarts, they don't have time to meet in the middle because they're not talking during the season. They're going to potentially try to do that during the offseason. The problem being is that every other team can talk to him. With Rafael Devers, they have time. You know, They could come to him and – December or January and say, all right, sorry, we got eight six for 168, but now we're doing, you know, 10 for two, 220 or, you know, something like that, or, or it's still too low or like, you know, 10 for 290 or whatever it may be. You know, how does that sound? And maybe he's looking at, you know, 10 for 350 and, you know, there's midpoints in these types of things. And um, that's how it works. So I just, you know, it's unfortunate those types of offers leak out because, there's so many offers both in the trade market and both and in, you know, these contract talks that happen that, you know, are not anywhere close to the final offer. If that was the Red Sox final offer, they'd be in big trouble, but they still have, you know, another year plus to get this done. And I think just the way this front office is wired now, we've seen it. They'd be stupid not to explore trades for Devers if he doesn't sign an extension simply because, you know, you get nothing for him or you get just a draft pick for him. Um, you know, obviously we saw, I don't think that Verdugo, Connor Wong, and Peter Downs are packages that are going to transform your franchise, but um, getting rid of David Price and attaching that deal, that was helpful. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think unfortunately for, for Red Sox fans, they're going to have to confront that possible reality. I don't think it's like, you know, oh, well, now Devers is definitely going to be traded, but um, that's how they think. they got to always be thinking about the future, and he's going to be, you know, maybe the best trade ship you have. Yeah, you mentioned the Matt Olson contract. It was like eight years, 168, something like that. I always, I wondered, I was listening to a little bit of the radio yesterday and they had the possibility of, you know, the contract doesn't really envision him playing first base for the duration of the contract. Do you see that as a possibility for Devers? All these things are possibilities. Like, do you have your best, you have your best uh, position player prospect theoretically playing first base for the next five, six years? So, you know. Does Devers become a DH when JD, you know, walks or in a couple of years, or um, does Bogarts move to third or does he move to second, switch the story? Like there's so many different things where to, you know, they all, all of a sudden have like, you know, so many very good 
high, uh, high school or uh, 19 year old shortstops that they have through the draft, whether it be Romero from the other night or Meyer or York or all these guys, like there's a lot of moving pieces. Um, and so the position stuff, I think finds a way to work out. Um, I think the really interesting thing about the position stuff this year is that, you know, Xander Bogarts is a guy that I would have guessed heading into the season would have told them, Hey, if you're going to go sign Trevor store and he wants to be the shortstop, if you're going to go try to sign, and I don't think they really went hard on these guys, but Seager, Correa, whoever it would be, like I'm willing to move to second because I'm a team first guy and I'm willing to do it. That in my mind, when he he you know put his feet in the sand and said, "Hey, like I'm staying at shortstop, and if you want to sign one of these guys, they can play second. That's fine. I'll help them. I'll be a great teammate. But shortstop's my spot, and I'm the shortstop for the Red Sox." To me, that was something where I kind of felt like he's he's you know taking a stand, saying, "I'm going to go get get my contract now. I took a hometown discount once. I've done a lot for you guys. Now it's time for me to um, you know." maximum value and good for him he deserves it yeah i mean i always look at you know i think you you mentioned this and whether i think in a podcast but they have no uh he, bogart has a no trade clause i think is it limited or no i think that, it's full i think it's he's full. full at this point yeah i don't i don't think he's gonna want to get traded you know um he, i think he wants to ride it out and you know when it comes to boston sports he's been there his whole career and i it's, I think it would be hard for him envisioning, you know, playing somewhere else this season. He wants to, I think he wants to ride it out. And then, yeah, you know, if they, if they go one and 10 and he's, you know, there's a great team that's a great playoff shot comes calling, you know, like that's hard for these guys to say, no, they want to win. Um, and if he's already kind of has his mindset on the fact he's going to be leaving anyway, you know, what's the, we just rip off the band aid. What's the point of waiting it out for two more months? I mean, I think they should sign him. I think they should sign Devers, but. Um, you know, that's not, that's, that's why I don't get paid that much to, to make those. Decisions. <laughs> well, you know, another team like the blue Jays or the Rays, I, I, I don't really envision the Rays. Um, even the Orioles, you know, they're, they're not, you know, that much behind the Red Sox and they're only like four or five games back of the wild card. You know, if they add a big guy, like, you know, Juan Soto, um, does that influence the Red Sox to, you know, um, either make a big move or just sell? Does that have a big influence? I don't know. I, uh, that's a good question. I mean, you know, the rest of these teams in the division, they're all competing to get into that. Other than the Yankees, they're competing to get into that three-game wildcard series. You have to look at that as a crapshoot. You know, two pitchers get hot, your offense goes quiet for two days, it's over, you know, or vice versa. So um, I think the Red Sox should really look at themselves in a vacuum, but also just understand – you know, I think the really important thing in this time of year is, and this is a big part of the calculus in 2019, okay, you're two games back or whatever it is, two or three games back of a wild card berth, right? But there's also like six or seven teams in the mix. And, you know, if you are behind five teams and five teams that you think are legit, then that's a tough ask, even if you're two games back. So the crowded field, you know, and, and maybe if a couple of those teams make huge upgrades and it's clear that they're better than you, maybe that that, you know, causes them to stand down a little bit. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I never think one player, even one of the best, like Juan Soto, really changes things that much. But if teams are really aggressive and do, you know, Soto and a couple other moves and they go all in, it's going to be, you know, harder for the Red Sox and other teams to do that. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned, I just worry Juan Soto going to the Yankees. I'm just very worried about that. But I, I don't think we should focus on the Yankees at all because they got the division. They're, they're they have like a 13 game lead. Um, but yeah, um, thank you so much chris for your time um it's been a very big pleasure in my end yeah well thanks so much for having me man i appreciate it yep so you can check out chris catillo on twitter uh chris catillo it's capital c and capital 
or capital C's, both ends. And he posts some great columns on Mass Live. So you guys should go check it out. And yeah, I think that will do it. Thank you. Once again, thanks to Chris Cotillo for joining this episode of the Ball Black Podcast. You can check him out on Twitter, at Chris Cotillo. And you can check out his podcast, The Fenway Rundown. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ball Black Podcast. And go Sox.